So, 2 Peter chapter 3, make your way there, and we're going to be finishing up this chapter here today that we began last week, and what we looked at last week, a bit of an outline here that we went through, we saw the discipline of the believer, we looked at the doubt of the unbeliever, and then we looked at the delay of the Lord. We got up to verse 9 last week, we're going to pick it up in verse 10, and now we move from the delay of the Lord to look at the day of the Lord, and then the diligence of the believer. Those are the things that we're going to be looking at here this morning. And so right in verse 10, look at that with me, we read this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now remember, Peter has been writing to confront and challenge these scoffers that he mentioned in the beginning of chapter 3. He said scoffers will come. No doubt scoffers will come. We've experienced them today in our day. I'm sure many of us who have begun to kind of try to undermine or discourage people from really believing that what the Lord has said is going to happen, that the word of God is true. And no doubt Peter was experiencing that even in his day as scoffers are coming. And what they were saying in, in Peter's day is, Where's the coming of the Lord? Where's his promise of his coming? The Lord, you, you keep telling us that the Lord said he's going to come. Well, where is it? They, they would say things just keep going and unfolding ever since the beginning of time in just a natural progression of things. It's like the Lord's not at work. The Lord's certainly not going to intervene in the course in the affairs of this world anytime soon. And so scoffers are coming with this kind of report and discouraging, no doubt, believers in these things. So he's writing towards these scoffers who are doubting the promise, but he's also looking to encourage his readers, these believers who have gone through difficult times. They've been kind of displaced. They've been going through persecution for their faith. And he's looking to encourage his, his audience to remind them that, listen, my friends, Though you might be going through troubling times right now, though you might have people whispering in your ear that this is all for naught, there's no promise. Understand the Lord is coming soon. Hold on to this hope of heaven that you're to have. So Peter lays out very clearly, notice what he says there, verse 10, the day the Lord will come. This isn't something that Peter's going, listen guys, we're really hoping, we're really believing that this is going to happen. He's not coming at this wishy-washy. He's very certain, guys, Listen, the day the Lord will come. Understand that. Be ready for it. When has the Lord ever broken his promise before? This is something the Lord has promised. Just like, you know, John 14, Jesus said, listen, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. And I'm going to come again. So the Lord's never broken his promise. We can continue to hold on by faith and with hope, with an assurance that the Lord is coming again. And here's what they need to know, both believers and scoffers, that the day the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. Now, how does a thief typically come into a place? Very secretly, quietly, right? Unannounced. This is something that is going to happen when you least expect it. Thief is going to be very, very quick. They're not going to be taking their time when they're trying to break into home, at least my experience in the thug life, is I was in and out very quickly, right? But the, the, the robber's not coming in looking to try on jewelry. They're not trying to make a snack for themselves. You get a 
Lord, up some more stuff. I'm going to make a, you know, get some nourishment here. Make a grilled cheese sandwich. No, they're not busy about those things. They're in and they're out. They're going to do so very quietly, unannounced. It's going to be something that's going to oftentimes take you by surprise. And so Peter is saying that there's going to be people that are going to be caught off guard. The day the Lord is going to come. But it's going to happen when you least expect it. You're all suggesting that this isn't going to happen. These scoffers, they're mocking it. It's going to come as a thief in the night. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 42 to 43, Watch, therefore, for ye do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Watch. Be aware. You do not know when this is going to happen. But you see, now, as though for the unbeliever, it's going to take them by surprise. This does not need to be the case for the believer, right? As we look forward to the coming of the Lord. As we keep on watching and anticipation without losing hope. Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3 to 4, for when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. That this day should not overtake you as a thief. For the believer, you see, we're walking in the day. We're not going to be, we shouldn't be trapped if we're looking forward to this day and to where this day coming. Now, what is exactly this day of the Lord? We're going to talk a bit about that coming up here. And that day of the Lord is not a day, a 24-hour period. It's rather a period of extended time. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But this period of time will culminate with everything that's material in the world being burned up as Peter addresses there in verse 10. Like we discussed last week, Jesus is holding all things together, right? And, and, and we, we understand that there's all this power and energy at work here. One day, he's just going to let it all go. And everything's just going to be dissolved with a, a great noise. All this material matter is going to melt away. That certainly seems to have all the makings of some kind of universal nuclear explosion. The releasing of this atomic energy, you see. But imagine what that's going to be like, you know, when not only the entire earth, but the heavens are dissolved. And that's not speaking of, as some people think, oh my goodness, God's going to, Take away the heavens, where are we going to dwell? That's not talking about the heavens where God dwells. It's speaking of the first and the second heavens. The first heavens being the earth's atmosphere. And then the second heavens being the, the, the space, you know, the, the planetary space. Remember when Paul wrote that I was taken up to the third heavens. That's the place that, you know, kind of God's dwelling place. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the first and second heavens is going to be, be dissolved. The earth and the works that are in it, it says, will be burned up. Now, what that can also mean, as some uh, you know, more ancient manuscripts uh, say, is that they say the earth and its works are going to be laid bare. In, in other words, it's going to be kind of like found for what it is. The wickedness is going to be exposed and the need for judgment is going to be realized. There's a lot of people that say, oh, the Lord's not going to judge the world again. The Lord's now a God of grace and mercy. We're not talking about the Old Testament God. We're talking about the New Testament God now. And he's not going to judge. And, and there's some people that like to, to think that and, and try to proclaim that, right? Oh, God said he's never going to judge the world again. Well, no, God said he'll never judge the world like he did in the day of Noah with a flood. 
That's why we're seeing it's going to be by fire this time around. Understand that judgment is coming. And as the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt or laid bare, it's going to show that there is a full-on rebellion against God. There is a need for justice and righteousness to come and dwell. It's going to be evident in that day. So Peter writes in verse 11 now, Therefore, he says, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So Peter asks a great question in light of all these things happening. He says, what, what, person, or what manner of persons ought you to be? But then he just kind of rolls right into the answer. Wouldn't you have loved that if in high school your teacher would ask a question but then just roll right in the answer for you? I would have, I would have done a lot better under that kind of teaching style. And that's kind of what Peter's doing. What manner of person ought you to be? Well, let me tell you. Conduct yourself in holiness and godliness. That's what Peter lays out for us here. Peter's talked a lot about holiness in these two epistles, First and Second Peter. This has been kind of one of those you know, key themes for Peter. Holiness now. And a lot of people look at that word, that term, and they think, how can I do that? That seems too unattainable. Holiness is just reserved for people like Pastor Brent. That's the only person. No, I'm just kidding. But we think holiness is, is unattainable. But understand that this word holiness simply means to be set apart. It, it has the idea of separation. And it means then to be set apart from the things of this world, but to be set apart to God. It's like living with a different perspective in mind a different passion and pursuit you're not living for the things of this world you're living for god it's his heart that's that's driving that's holiness is to be set apart from the world and set apart to god and that's how it should be for believers we should be having a, a mind a heart that's more for the things of god than it is for the things of the world paul would write in colossians chapter 3 Verse 1 to 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul affirms that, that, that this is where our, our passion, our, our pursuit should be. Not on the things of this world, but on things that are above. And that is going to lead to a life that's being lived in, in holiness. Set apart for God. And to be godly, you know, to be godly, again, that's something people think, oh my goodness, that's, but that just really implies that you're seeking to live like God would have you live. And that is in obedience to his word. Following his word is what ensures you an enjoying life, a life of enjoyment today. See, some people equate holiness or godliness with just like heaviness, depression. It's like, Oh my goodness, you know, I kind of want to live a life of fun, but if I got to be holy and godly, then there goes that, right? Can't can't experience any fun if I'm going to be holy. And people get this uh, this mindset that holiness is just like not doing anything. I can't participate in anything, you know? I'm just like this, this dull, dry person. But holiness... And when you're living your life set apart to God, it's like, that's your passion, your pursuit, right? When you're living godly saying, I'm gonna, I wanna follow your word. I wanna live in obedience to your word. That's what's going to ensure a life of enjoyment. 
and blessing. That's where the blessing flows. And, and, and to be blessed, when the Bible speaks about being blessed, that's that term simply, to be happy. Holy people are going to be happy people. Holy people are not going to be heavy, dry, boring people. They're going to be happy people because you're living your life the way that God has meant it to be lived, which is to ensure your enjoyment and blessing in life. So Peter says, because of what is coming, because the Lord is coming, because all these things are going to be burned up. Stop living for these things. Start living for what is truly, what truly matters. Live for God. Live holy. Conduct yourself in holiness and godliness. That's going to be what's going to ensure your, your blessing. Now, as we live lives like God would have us live, we, we live also that greater awareness of eternity. We look forward, as Peter says here, looking for or looking forward and hastening in verse 12, the coming of the day of God. There's that term coming of the day of God. In verse 10, again, we saw the, the day of the Lord, but now in verse 12, we see the day of God. So what are these two terms exactly? Are they one and the same? Are we talking about the same thing? Well, let me lay it out this way. We're, there's actually four days that are mentioned in God's word, four kind of specific days. We see, as, as, as um, K.S. Wuist points out here, we see the day of man to begin with. That time that started with Adam's fall and leads up to the second advent of Christ. It's a time where man is kind of living in their own free will. They're, they're doing their thing. They're living under the permissive will of God, right? That's the day of man that we're in right now. But then it's going to come the day of Christ. The day of Christ is when Christ has his day in catching up his bride, the church believers, you and I, and raptures us up to meet him in the air where we're going to be with him forever and then that leads into the day of the lord and again like i said the day of the lord is not a day or, or, or 24 hour period it's a period of time and it begins after the rapture takes us into the great the, the tribulation period the seven-year tribulation period and then into the millennium which is the thousand year literal reign of christ on the earth and then that's gonna lead us into the day of god the day of god is when god has his day the close of the millennium which leads into the great white throne judgment, which is that time where all the, uh, the unbelievers are raised back up where they are given their final sentence. And they're going to be then cast in the lake of fire, their eternal abode, sadly. And then after the great white throne judgment, God has his day by restoring the earth here and its planetary heavens to its pristine glory. This is great. So in this day of God... God is all about recreation. A lot of people think, oh, God's just a God of destruction. Hey, that's not the case. God's a God of, of recreation and restoring all things to a perfect condition as he's always meant them to be before sin came in and, and marred and wrecked everything. And the amazing thing is that God has included us to be a part of this new and exciting, perfect world. That's why Peter could say, looking forward to and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because it's going to be a beautiful day of, of, of just full restoration and recreation where we are going to live with him forever and be with him. Imagine that. Nevertheless, Peter says in verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, Peter had to contend with scoffers who question this promise but for peter it's the promises of god and god's return 
that caused him to be excited about the future, right? We're looking forward to new heavens and a new earth. And, and Peter says, it's according to his promise. That's why we can look forward to these things, where we can be anticipating these things, because he's promised it. And when God promises something, that's a sure thing. You can take it to the bank, baby. You know what I'm saying, right? That's the idea here. It's guaranteed. And it's the time when righteousness is going to dwell. When God ushers in the new heavens, new earth, righteousness is finally going to reign. See, we live in a world where, I mean, we see the exact opposite of, of righteousness dwelling, right? We live in a world right now, all the more, I mean, of just the craziness, the insanity that has been ensuing when people have said, we don't want to be under any authority. We're going to be our own authority. We're going to do our thing. And guess what? It's not making anything better. There's not, there's not order coming to the things. There's greater disorder and there's greater chaos coming onto the scene. I mean, just watch the news and you see what I'm talking about these days that we're living in. It is crazy and insane as to what's happening. See, it's only when the Lord comes that we're going to finally see righteousness reign. Oh, we'll see that in the millennium, part of the Lord's day. But then all the more in the day of God, in, in this recreation of all things, when all things, as Revelation 21, 22 point out, all things are going to be made new. We're going to be living in a perfect state where there's no more sin, no more disease, no more wickedness, no more death. We're going to be living in a perfect state where righteousness is truly going to be reigning. Now, some believe it's the church that's going to change all that today, that, that we are those that are going to bring in the righteousness of God. Now, trust me, I hope that we as a church are making a difference in the world, but we know that because of man's wickedness, things aren't going to get much better until God comes and cleanses it all where righteousness will dwell again. Therefore, Peter says in verse 14, and again, he just keeps pointing out something and moving on, nevertheless, or, or therefore, it's like Moose from one point says, here's how this is to move us along now. Therefore, beloved, again, there's that heart of Peter, seeing his eyes, just caring for them, loving them. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him, or by him in peace without spot and blameless. Listen, my friends, are you looking forward to these things? To the coming of the Lord? Are you looking forward to these things? Or do these things bring worry or joy? I remember I, I told you this story, I'm sure, many times, but every time I talk about, you know, the coming of the Lord and, and anticipating, looking forward to these things, I, I think of growing up in the church when, you know, in, in the 70s, these, these movies of end times became very popular. Movies like, um, you know, Mark of the Beast or, um, what was it? A Thief in the Night. Oh, yeah. That's in our text here. A Thief, a thief in the Night. These were movies that, you know, we'd watch at church and as a, as a young boy, right? Um, boy, they terrified me. I'll be honest with you. I was freaked out. I'd, I'd go to bed at night and I'd be thinking, is the Lord going to come back? To, and and am, I, am I ready? Is he going to take me? And I'd hear like something in the kitchen like crash. And I'd think, oh no, the rapture happened. My mom just got down. I'd be calling up, mom! And no, no answer. And I'd just be freaking out thinking, I've missed the rapture. I've been left behind. No! Terrified me. There are people as Christians that, that still live their life that way where they're terrified of the coming of the Lord because it's this kind of uncertainty maybe for them or there are those that that still are living with such a a desire for 
the world, the things of the world. Oh, I haven't experienced this yet. I just want to be able to experience that before the Lord comes. Lord, don't come, don't come yet. I'm just not ready. I still, I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, like, I'm looking forward to, you know, being a grandpa one day, if that ever comes. Lord will, I don't know. That's going to happen, right? I'm not, I'm not dropping any news here today, but I mean, Lord willing, that I, I would look for, I would love that day. But listen, I don't want the Lord to delay his return. It's like, Lord, if you want to come now, before I'm a that's fine. Let it happen. You come, right? But there are people that have this expectation. Now, Lori, you get to hopefully have this out. She's going to be a grandma any minute now. Her, her daughter-in-law is, is in labor. So congratulations, she's going to be a grandma for the first time. So the Lord is, is, is held off for you. So I'm sure you've been looking forward to that day. But the rest of you, don't, don't give you know, those ultimatums here, right? We want the Lord to come at any moment. And that's the thing, is that being with the Lord and seeing the Lord should trump anything else that we are hoping in or looking forward to. Amen, right? There should be nothing greater. There should be nothing they were saying, oh. And I've heard, and, and the reason I bring this up is because I've heard believers talk like this. Oh, you know, you really want the Lord to come now because, you know, we're going to be doing this or this is going to happen. I, I want to experience this first. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know what we're going to be experiencing in heaven when we're with the Lord forever and ever? It will pale. Everything in this world will just completely be like, oh, why did I wait for that? Why did I want that? What I got with the Lord is so much better. But that's, again, how we should be living these lives. Anticipating, looking forward, as Peter says here, for that day. Now, a couple times in our text, Peter's been bringing this up. As you look forward to hastening the day. Looking forward to these things. He, he brings up this idea of anticipating, looking forward to it. And you see, when we are looking forward to that day, it has a great effect in our lives when we do. Here's what it does, I believe, biblically. As Peter points out here, it brings peace. It brings purity and it brings purpose in our lives. Peace, purity, and purpose. You see, we have peace because no matter how crazy our world gets, we know that God is coming soon and he's going to restore all things. There's, there's believers that I talk to that look at the affairs of the world and they just are gripped with fear. Oh my goodness. And, and they're gripped in fear because... They, they think about, you know, what's coming next. Oh my goodness, this is going to happen. And oh, this, this is going to lead to that. And oh, this is so awful. I'm just so terrified. And I'm like, oh my word, as believers, we should not be talking like that. As believers, we should be realizing what's happening in the world simply means that the Lord is that much more closer to coming again, which should fill us with a peace and an excitement to know the Lord is coming soon. Oh yes, our heart breaks and grieves for what's going on in the world. No doubt about that. And we want to be praying for what's going on in the world. Yes. But we should be living with a peace to go, man, all this just makes me realize that the Lord's coming soon and I'm going to be with him and I have such peace. I don't have to worry about what's going on in the world because I know the Lord's going to be faithful and lead us through. He's going to be with me. He's not going to leave me nor forsake me. He's going to lead us through and we're going to be okay. So not only does it bring peace, but it brings purity, right? Knowing that we're going to stand before him one day has that effect again of saying, I want to be ready. I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be ashamed at his coming. And it says in 1 John 2, verse 20, uh, and Rob read this in our time of worship, and now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And everyone who has this open and purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's jump into 1 John 3, verse 3. Do you see that? When we have that hope of the Lord, it's like, we're looking forward to that, saying, the Lord could come at any moment. 
And I want, I want to be ready. I don't want to be like, was that, was that a trumpet sound? Hold on, Lord, just wait a second. I got to clear up a few things first. Let me, let me just hide a few things. I want you to see this here. No, it's like, I want to be ready, unashamed when he comes. And you see, those that have that hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We want to live ready for when the Lord comes. Not be caught off guard, but just be living every day. We're like, Lord, you could come right now and I'm good with it, right? I'm ready. There's nothing that I, I need to do, nothing I need to be living out. No, I'm just ready for you to come any moment. In fact, I pray every Sunday, Lord, before I get up here, you, you can feel free to come right now. I'm good. I can be spared from all this. And I know everybody in the sanctuary is probably saying, yeah, Lord, you can spare us from this too. You can just come right now. It'd be all right with me. But that's, that's the, the heart we should be having just, Lord, anytime. I'm ready. I'm ready for you to return. And not only does it give us peace and purity, but it gives us purpose, right? Peter said, uh, it's going to say in verse 15 here, consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Again, that's what we talked about at the beginning. The reason that the Lord is delaying his return is he's wishing that none would perish. He's giving opportunity for people to be saved. And if God is delaying his coming so that more people can receive his salvation, then we should recognize that role that we have before us. That we're called to be witnesses, ambassadors in this world. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. What does an ambassador do? He represents his, his home country in a foreign country. That's us. We're, we're living in a foreign country now. This world is not our home. We're looking forward to our, our future home. And so we're simply to be representing Jesus in this world. We're to be living out as, as lights, as ministers of reconciliation, Ministers of the gospel, sharing the good news to people. And you see, there are, are, are lots of people that are living their life right now without hope or without, without purpose. They're kind of got those question marks. What am I here for? What's the purpose of this all? As believers, there shouldn't be those question marks in our life. And there's something to be said about living life with purpose that just keeps you going each day with an excitement and a reason to live. And for us as believers, oh, there might be other, you know, very clear, direct things that God's leading you in and, and, and using you for. But for every one of us, we all have a purpose, and that is to live as a witness in this world. Right? To take the good news to people and to share the love of Christ with others, to, to, to see them experience life in Him and, and realize eternal life that they have through Him. We have that role to play. And that gives us purpose. Understanding that the Lord could come at any moment should cause us to be moved with a greater passion in carrying out that purpose in this world. To say, Lord, your heart is that none perish. Let that be my heart too. And let me be moved with a passion and a purpose to be proclaiming the gospel in, in whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm going. To be pointing people to you and to be bringing you, Jesus, into everything that I'm a part of 
That's a purpose that we're to have. And, and, and realizing that the Lord is coming soon, looking forward to the coming of the Lord should cause us to be moved with that kind of purpose. Well, continuing on here, verse 15, we've got to finish this up here. And so Peter says there, considering that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So, again, the reason the Lord is delaying his return is so that others can come in and receive salvation, that should be moving us as well. And Peter, interestingly, brings up Paul in his writings. And, and Paul and Peter spoke with a, a, a great unity, right? It's amazing that the word of God is laid out so, um, so unified when we've got 40 different authors written over a span of 1,500 years or so, and to see just the unifying purpose that all these writers are writing for. And, and Paul and, and Peter were, were no different. Paul was a... Uh, that kind of, you know, minister uh, uh, of coming in and, and just revealing this grace of the Lord. That we're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace. And as Peter says, there are those that want to twist the scriptures to their own benefit. And they were doing that with Paul, right? Uh, as Paul comes in talking about grace, people will start saying, so does that mean we can just go ahead and do whatever we want and sin all the more and grace is just going to cover all that? In fact, why don't we just sin more because then more grace will just flow. Isn't that a great win-win situation for everybody? And there were those that tried to twist what Paul was communicating and twist it to their own benefit. And, and Peter simply lays it out and be aware of these things. Beware of those that seek to do these very things, to twist scripture for their own benefit. Well, verse 17 Peter ends with this. He says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So Peter says, Listen, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand. Now that word uh, beforehand is the Greek word prognosko which we get our word prognosis from. Peter says, here's the prognosis. You know all this before. The prognosis is this, that the world is going to be destroyed. God's going to judge the world. Scoffers are going to come and make you think otherwise that this isn't going to happen. They're going to try to cause you to doubt. But with every prognosis given, there's hopefully that course of action now to take, right? It'd be a shame if a doctor came to you and said, well, it looks like you got uh, a very bad disease. doesn't look good for you. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, you hope that they're going to come and give you not just a prognosis, but a plan of attack, a course of action to take. What's the treatment for this? What do, what do we do, right? Well, Peter lays out for us now this kind of course of action. And the course of action that Peter gives is this, be on guard and remain steadfast. Don't be deceived and led along with the error of the wicked. Once again... It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. Some people, he says, they've fallen away from the faith. Right? Now, I don't believe a person can lose their salvation as well just kind of, where did, what happened? Where did it go? No, but I believe people can walk away from their faith, can, can leave it behind. Some people think that, well, I prayed this prayer when I was like seven years old at a camp and I kind of made this commitment, and so I, I guess I'm good. I'm going to heaven. But, but yeah, and then they go on to live their life 
just for themselves and according to this world. And there's no evidence of a, a born-again life. There's no, there's no assurance of salvation in that. There's only assurance of salvation when we continue on in the things of the Lord. When we remain steadfast and remain in Jesus. That's the key for us here. Don't fall from the steadfastness. And that's been the whole theme of our study through First and Second Peter, right? Steadfast in the faith. That's kind of been the underlying theme that Peter's been bringing out, to be steadfast. Though trials might come, though scoffers might come to try to mislead you, be steadfast in your faith. Remain in Jesus and remain in the things of Jesus because that's what's important. So how do we do that? Well, we keep growing in Jesus. As Peter says in verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in these things. Keep Keep reaching and, and, and moving forward in the things of God. Don't, don't become stagnant. Don't become idle. Keep growing. That's how Peter started out his epistle in Second Peter. In, in chapter 1, verse, verse 5, when he says, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance. and the like. He said, keep adding to these things. Don't just be content to say, well, I got my faith, I'm good. No, add to that faith knowledge. Perseverance, keep growing. Let those keep be building on one another. Don't be content with where you are. Keep growing. And you see, when we keep growing, it ensures us that we are remaining steadfast in the faith. Right? See, it's what our Christian lives should be all about. Growing in Christ and then glorifying Christ as Peter ends with there. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. See, this is the life that's growing in Christ and glorifying Christ that's not going to be tripped up by trials or scoffers and false teaching. It's the life that's lived with passion and purpose as we look forward to the coming of the Lord. And I pray that's the mark of your life here today. Understand that we have a great hope. We have a great assurance of the promise of the Lord of what He's done for us and what he's going to do, and the reality that he's coming again. So may that excite us here today. May that cause us to live these lives with passion and purpose as we continue on growing in and glorifying Jesus in all that we do. Amen? Let's pray. Worship team, would you come up and just close our time in in a song here as we just take some time to reflect on these things. And maybe you're here today. You're saying, Lord, yeah, I, I want to... I need to grow. I've, I've become sort of complacent, maybe stagnant. And maybe you're looking at your life right now and the Lord's been kind of pricking your heart. Say, hey, there's, there's so much more. Don't stop where you're at. Keep growing. Keep learning. Keep seeking me. Live with that passion and purpose. Let's make much of Jesus in and through our lives because he's done so much for us. So let's make much of him. Let's stand together. Let me close our time in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time just to gather. Thank you that we can come and worship you and learn of you. And Lord, your word just has so much for us as we look at it here today. And thank you that you're a God that keeps your promises and we recognize that you are coming again soon. So Lord, may that cause us to live very differently. May that cause us to live, Lord, in in peace and in purity, with purpose, to have that passion to just make much of you in this world, to keep our eyes on you, to remain steadfast, and just to continue to grow in you and become more like you, Lord. So lead us in these things. 
We thank you for your work, for your life that makes all this possible. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let's sing and just worship and just let's take some time to respond to God here today.